Hey, everybody, how are you doing? This is Ray Renati, and you have reached Green Room on Air, my little corner of the various internets, as George W. used to say. Hope you're doing great. It's a rainy day here where I am in Palo Alto, California. Looks like it's the middle of December. 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 Depending on which language you speak, or Pig Latin. December Day. Yeah. I used to speak Pig Latin when I was a young boy for fun. I don't anymore. I'm kind of rusty with my Pig Latin. But maybe I'll get on that and improve it. And I'll do a whole show in Pig Latin. Who knows? Who knows? Hey, guess what? Today, we have a very, very special guest. He is someone who has actually made history in his life and in his career and has been a trailblazer for the LGBTQ community in California. He's an all-round entertainer who's been in the business for years and is just as comfortable on stage or in front of a camera or a microphone or in a recording studio anywhere where entertainers abide. He's been entertaining audiences in some of the biggest radio markets in the country, Los Angeles and San Francisco, and on the number one radio stations in both markets, KFI in LA and KGO in San Francisco. Well, KGO isn't really number one anymore, but they were for years. Now they're a sports betting radio station, and we won't talk about that because it's a travesty and it pisses me off. Anyway, not only that, but my guest has written for Billboard magazine and has even been a featured artist in Billboard. That's right. He's also been with the Huffington Post since it started and has published two books. Not to, be, not to, not to mention being an, an editor for magazines such as The Advocate. You might have seen him on every major cable network as a guest or even caught him as a pioneer in the recent trend of reality TV for five years on cable. And wait for it, he even has an app. That's right. He has a very uh, successful podcast that's number 200 in Canada. That's pretty darned good when you consider the fact that there are five, th between three and five million podcasts out there and my guest name is Carell. Many of you may know him from the radio. Very successful Carell cast podcast. Carell, Charles Carell Boulet, but he goes by Carell, just like Prince goes by Prince, Madonna goes by Madonna, and Elvis goes by Elvis. All righty. So without any further ado, as they say in show business. Let's get to it. So I was just thinking we can just talk about, you know, your career and, and things and everything that you're doing now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm where with you. <laughs> I think that, I think that you and I are, I think like a year and a day apart in age. I think your birthday is November 7th. Is that right? It is. Yes, it is. The only reason I know that is because mine's November 8th. Ah, okay, yeah. And it, I think I'm a year older than you. Yeah. I'm or, 60. 
Yeah, I'm 61. So, yeah, so I share a lot of your health concerns. And I, one of the things I love when I listen to your show is I feel like I found I found a comrade in arms, as it were, in terms of all that. A 60-year-old body, they pretty much behave the same way or misbehave. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of diet, like every little thing you eat. Yes. Or don't eat. Or don't eat. No, put down Either. the cookie. Yeah, either it goes on the body or it doesn't, depending on what you do with it. Yeah, it's funny. I was Cynthia Stamper Graf, who runs Lindora Medical. She once told me that if a chocolate cake uh, appeared like as a lump in your body, like just sort of popped out of your hip right after you ate it, you wouldn't eat it. You would uh, never eat but, but But because cookies, cakes, and pies, you know, accumulate all over gradually, then oh, I'll have the cookie. Nah, you know. So now every time I eat something bad, I'm like, oh, God, it's just going to pop out of my shoulder or something. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, for me, it's all goes to my midsection. Like I have no fat anywhere else on my body, but, uh, but you know, you've encouraged me a lot to really watch my diet. I, I am not a complete vegan now, but I, I don't, I, I know well, I'm meat. a vegan, but God knows if I'm complete. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't eat meat because of you. I do not eat meat. Well, don't I eat me not because of me. Don't eat me because it's filthy. No, no, be, no, just because of, of listening to you so much yeah. about that. The data is just every day the data comes out that confirms it. And, you know, more and more in the entertainment industry, I find that, you know, entertainers are heeding the call. In fact, you know, Oscar, Grammy, Emmy, Tony, all of the awards dinners now at the dinners, they're either all plant-based or, in fact, the Spirit Awards were just all plant-based. There was There were no non-vegan options. And that's because A, sustainability, but B, you know, a lot of people in entertainment now have made the switch and continue to do so. The biggest, Lizzo yesterday gave a shout out to fat vegans because, you know, she's a vegan, but she's heavy, you know, so she gave a shout out to all the fat vegans. And I thought that just sounds like a restaurant chain, fat vegan, but, you know, <laughs> but, you know, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it's time. The planet wants us to, our bodies want us to, all the research says, uh, cardiovascular wise, and just, you know, all other organs in your body like it better. Unless yeah. you, you know, eat Oreos and stuff all day, but, you know, just following a plant-based diet, it's the way. And, you know, you got to have more energy nowadays. I was just telling a friend, you know, in the entertainment industry, I used to fight being gay. That was always the big obstacle. Oh, you're gay. You're gay. It's like it was a newsflash. Of course, I mean, you know, but now I'm white and 60. And so there's, you know, there's all these different there's always something to fight, which yes. means that you always have to have stamina to do it because the only people that survive in this business are the people who continue going. I mean, many of fabulous singer, actor, dancer, broadcaster, broadcasting used to mean spreading seeds, by the way, all, all <laughs> of these people, you know, many fabulous people have just stopped because they're just, they're tired of it. They get tired. They get tired of the rejection. They get tired of having to just cattle call. What's his name? I'm, I can see his face. I'm, I know his name. He's been in a million things. Uh, but, you know, he still auditions. You know, David Arquette still tapes auditions at home, you know, and, and does videotape. I mean, he's fucking David Arquette, you know, and yet they still require him to audition. It's like in Streisand's song, Putting It Together. Everything, well, Stephen Sondheim's song, Putting It Together. Everything you do, you still audition. And, yeah. and it's, it never ends. I mean, she couldn't. That's a, a great case right there. Barbara, her whole career, wanted to make her last movie be Gypsy. And she wanted to play Mama Rose. She could not get it funded just could not get it funded. And so now oh. it will probably not happen. She's 81, 82 years old. So she, you know, she'd be grandmama Rose. So it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. And when you're Barbara Streisand and you can't get a movie made because you can't get it funded, 
because people don't know, oh, is it, how's it going to be? Do people want to see? Because her first movie, Funny Girl, uh, mm-hmm. and her and she wanted it to be the last the, the last Gypsy because they're written by the same people. Yeah, you know the, the music is the same, and so she wanted she thought that would be sort of a great career capping thing. It never, it's probably not going to happen. And nowadays, she just doesn't. She's eighty two. She's married twenty five years. She's got grandkids. The hustle in her has sort of. I don't want to speak for her, but you can tell the hustle in her has sort of quelled. She doesn't yeah. need it as much as she might have needed it years ago. I mean, you would think you know? that Barbara Streisand wanting to play Mama Rose in Gypsy is a no-brainer, right? You would think, but <laughs> not Hollywood. No. And remember, she's pitching it to people who are 30 years old. Yeah, they don't get you know, they probably don't even know what gypsy is. They have is. no idea what gypsy is. They don't know yeah. who Mama Rose is. You know, someone tell me when is it my turn? They have they have yeah. no idea. Uh, and they wouldn't know true. Natalie Wood. They they think uh. it was a kind of something you make your deck out of. Oh, it's absolutely <laughs> you know. So they wouldn't know. So, yeah. you know, it's it is it, it was a hard pitch. And she I guess she got tired of pitching it. And, you yeah. know, she follows the first rule of thumb in Hollywood that I never did, which is never use your own money for a project. But, you know, she, that's why I'm broke. But, you know, <laughs> she wasn't, a, she has, you know, oh, yeah. she could easily come up with 40, 50 million dollars, but she's not, you know, she's not dumb. She's not gonna. No, uh, no, she, and she shouldn't have to, you know, but, you know, so I think you have to have energy and you have to continue to have that drive. And if you're not healthy, the industry is just going to be too heavy on you. It's just well, going to be too much. You're going to quit. Yeah, I mean, the other problem with her funding it is there would be sort of this knowledge all the time that she funded it. It wasn't approved by the studios. And, you know, it would be this. Oh, concept- I don't think people today care about that shit. I, you know, I don't really? really think that audiences care about where the money comes from. They have no idea. No, where the I money didn't mean comes the from. audiences. I just meant like people in the industry. Well, she doesn't care yeah. about Hollywood. I never have. No, that's I don't true. either. You know, screw these executives. It's getting she it doesn't. made. That's true. You know, the art of that. And that's from that same song. The art of making art is putting it together. Yeah. You know, so however you get a project done, do it. Yeah. You know, and, if, and, and nowadays, if you have to fund it yourself, fund it yourself. If you believe in it, do it. Yeah, she's yeah. just old school. And when you've been famous for she's 82, so she's been famous for 61 years. When you've been famous for 61 years, you kind of don't want to have to do it yourself. Right, right. You know, I, I can totally relate to you when, when, when you've said that now being a 60 year old white man in entertainment is the thing you're fighting against because it's yes. exactly the same for me. I mean, as soon I'm as I'm not COVID a 24 hit, year old general non, or non-binary trans gay. Yeah, right. You're, you're whatever. one of those things. And those are the things that are favored right now. And, and they're checking boxes. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, yeah. well, we want because they, their one thing that they do is going to be their whole diversity. I was told by the Moto Council once, the Motorcycle Council. I said, you know, they would put me on all these bikes and everything. And I would say, you know, you need to do gay outreach. It's gay pride. And they, and they looked at me and said, you are our gay outreach. Oh, uh, and, and, you know, <laughs> that. And so I checked that box for them. You know, oh, yeah, wow. look, we're we in the motorcycle industry. We're not homophobic. We we service Corel. It's like, yeah, but nobody else, you yeah. know. And so nowadays, a company, whether it's an entertainment company or just a regular company, they're looking at a hire to check like a whole bunch of boxes. Are you female? Yes. Are you part Latino and part black? Yes. Yes. Are you, you know, gender non-binary? Yes. Yeah. And so if one person checks all five boxes, that person gets the gig. Yes. And in San Francisco, it's really blatant. I mean, like they actually give you when you go to audition before the audition, they actually give you 
questionnaires that you have to fill out with all of those things in it that you just mentioned. Which is amazing because for over a decade, I was the only gay host working in San Francisco on KGO. There were no other gay hosts working on radio, period, talk or FM. And then the two gay guys got an, an FM morning show. And I'm forget Fernando and Greg, I think were their names. And they may still have a morning show, but then they were the other two gay people. They were on FM. I was on AM. And in a city known for its queerness, there were three gay people on the radio. Amazing. Uh, and that, yeah, yeah that, that's pretty freaking amazing. Yeah, and so now if they're gone, I don't know of any that are on the radio there. So, so for people who don't know, I mean, you have had an illustrious radio career, right? I mean, you started down yeah, in LA well, with well, they Andrew, call it your historic, husband. and yeah, they they call some call it historic, some call it iconic. <laughs> it just makes me sound old. But yeah, I always say I was gay in radio before it was fashionable, meaning it was a fight. Uh, there were nothing. There was nothing that sounded like us at all. No one that looked like us. No one that talked like us. And we got hired by the most conservative radio station in Los Angeles, <laughs> thanks to David Hall. And we followed Dr. Laura. So it went Rush Limbaugh, Dr. Yes. Laura, and them, and them <laughs> being us. And we were a couple. We were the first gay couple in radio to ever have a drive time radio show. It had never been done in any market in the United States, period. It just hadn't happened. And in the world at that point, it hadn't happened. And so we were at KFI. And then Andrew died very suddenly in 2001. And I stayed at KFI for a couple of years. And then went on to KGO, where, again, I was the only gay talk show host working in the San Francisco Bay Area, heard up and down the West Coast on the number one ABC station uh, and, and was there for a decade or more and, you know, breaking the ground there. That's why today when I see all these broadcasters that are queer or this or that, I just thought, you know, all you need to say to me is thank you. Because I remember being humiliated by bosses. I remember having people tell me, we'd love to program your show, but you're just too gay. And, and having no repercussions for that, just being able to say that to somebody. You know, I, I, I came from before the Me Too. Mickey Luckoff at KGO was the biggest homophobe in the world. And he excused it by saying his best friend is gay. Yeah, his best friend up on child charges for molesting a 16-year-old on a yacht. A sweater wearing wow. queer, Andrew and I used to call him. Mm -hmm. uh, the very pernisticky sort of sweater wrapped around the neck, very, you know, whatever. But no, Mickey made rules for me in radio that today I could sue him for. You know, he can't be on the radio before seven o'clock. Why? Because he sounds too gay. So I could never do middays. I could never fill in for Ron Owens or whatever. Not, oh. I was filling in for everybody, but I couldn't fill in for anybody before seven in the evening because Mickey Luckoff at KGO Radio, who's a bastard, said, no, he can't. One time there was a Christmas party and, you know, totally off the record Christmas party. People are showing their butt for this camera that got found on a table or this girl showed her boobs. So I flash at my butt. Dr. Bill Wattenberg, another homophobe who actually physically was allowed to physically attack me. I remember after that. The KGO yeah. All-Stars. He wasn't fired for it. You know, because his best friend was Mickey Luckoff. Well, he didn't like that I showed my butt at the Christmas party. I got flown up on Christmas Eve. I got reprimanded. No one else that did stuff for that camera got reprimanded. Just me. And so for de for forever at KGO Radio, I had to jump higher, run faster, get better ratings. And when I had a hot mic incident, it gave them the excuse to get rid of me. Mickey, because he, he tried and tried, but I got protected by the program director, Jack Swanson, who is a great guy, and Trish Robbins, the assistant PD, who's a wonderful woman. Mm -hmm. They would protect me. They would say, no, you're not firing him. He's got the numbers. He's got the audience. He's the one people ask about. You know, when, when we're out at events, you're not firing him. But finally, there was a reason that they couldn't say no to. 
And the so silly he Joe fired the me. Plumber yeah, fuck Joe the plumber. I hope fucking Joe the plumber drops <laughs> fucking dead. I said to John McCain during a break after writing an editorial for the Huffington Post about how we need to end hyperbole. Let's stop all this lipstick on a pig bullshit. Let's stop all this Joe the plumber who's not even a plumber. We're about to have an election that we're the first African-American in the world in the United States may become president. Let's talk about real issues. I had just finished writing that at 8.45 and Man. at 9.05, John McCain says during a break to me, I'm going to take Joe the plumber all the way to Washington and I'm pouring tea remotely. And they had put a brand new engineer on my show that night who left to go pee during the break and left the pot open. Yeah. Uh, and, and he was like 19 years old. Why are you putting a 19 year old engineer on a remote show? You know, it's beyond me. So they fired me. But the public outcry was so great that after a year and a half, they rehired me. Well, because they don't pay engineers anything at radio stations, so no, they, they can't have, find no. people who know what they're doing. Right. Well, That's a why. lot of engineers know what they're doing. They just take the low pay. Yeah, I know. I know. But like, you know, you know, it's it's, a, it's such a cutthroat industry. I, I, oh, yeah. I'm just blown away by radio and how one day you can be on top and the next day you're gone. And then well, I that's everything. That's all. That's, you know. That's like Tucker Carlson had no clue that his last show was that last Friday. <laughs> That's you true. Know? I mean, you, you, just, you don't you don't ever know. You know, you never know. That's why David Hall used to tell us every show is for all the marbles. Never skate through a show yeah. because you just never know if it's going to be your last. Yeah. Well, I mean, I loved it when KGO put you on and it was, it was my favorite show. I, I also listened to Bill Wattenberg only because I found it like strangely humorous. Yeah, well, if uh, you knew him, you wouldn't have liked it. No, I know. Yeah. And I loved it when they had you and Maureen Langan. I love Maureen. Just had lunch with her last weekend. She was in Vegas doing the Laugh Factory. She's Uh, on WBAI now in New York, publicly funded. But and she's doing a really big talent show this summer that I can't really talk about. But well, she posted. She she teased America's Got Talent, but she hasn't. I know all the details. I can't share them. Okay. Uh, But just be sure you watch America's Got Talent this summer. I I will. Oh, wonderful! Great. And what about you? Do you have anything coming up that you're doing? Uh, you have this huge, you know, you have your podcast and video show yes. and everything that you yes, do. That's... Which is, yeah, the podcast is still in the top 200 in Canada, United I States. I saw that Ireland. today. You're yeah. 204 today. I, yeah, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's something. You think I could turn that into money somehow. But no, so I'm very blessed that I'm still ranking. There are 2 million podcasts available. Uh, yeah. And out of 2 million, I consistently rank in the top 200. That's... You know, people would say, well, that's not very high. That's fine with me. That, well, that's out of uh, 2 million. That's in the top 0.1%. That's remarkable. Uh, because, so that, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that I just do this crazy, you know, half hour where I just talk about whatever, you know, is I'm very fortunate about that. I'm going back and doing recording. We're doing a Gospel House remix of a song I really believe in called Stronger Together. Mm-hmm. Uh, May 22nd, I'm going to L.A. and we're going to have a choir and Thea's coming back in and my oh, friend neat. Thea from Snap and... Morgan Mallory, who was on America's Got Talent, and my friend Daniel Charleston, who's in Pacific Opera Project. And we're going to have a choir of 10 voices. We're going to record it as a gospel house mix. We're going to release Married Men Disco version before that, then follow it with Stronger Together, and then follow that with another single. So we'll get the single started doing again. I am pitching Weathering the Future, which is a show where I go to the 10 places in the United States that are going to weather the future the best. However, again, you know, networks don't work like networks used to. It used to be you pitched an idea to a network, they gave you a series order and a budget, you went and did it, that was that. Nowadays, networks look for production partners where you bring them a completely finished show and then they slap their name on it. And and 
Yeah, right. And they pay X amount per episode or they just pay like Netflix just pays by the stream. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's a very different world right now. Television is shrinking. Film is shrinking. The money for television and film, even though you hear about these billion dollar deals and Netflix spending a billion dollars on content. Yeah, they're buying it. They're yeah. not producing it. They're buying it. What and was so this, to this... get content made nowadays, you almost have to find a production company that funds it and then brings it to a network and gets their money back that way. Yeah. It used to be totally different. You used to be able to go to the network with, or to the studio with a film idea. And then they'd say, okay, we like this film. We're going to finance this film. Nowadays, no. To make a film, to make a movie, even an independent film, you pretty much have to go secure the funding. And then the studio agrees to do the movie. They help you with the funding and or pay some of it back. And then you collect on the back end if there is a back end, uh, and pay your investors back. I see. So that way there's no downside for them. Right. They, they, they have totally gotten out of the, you know, legacy studios, ABC, CBS, MTV studios, all of them, they'll make deals with like Chandra Rhymes and stuff where, where they will give them production money up front. But these are people that have enormous shows already that are, you know, Chandra Rhymes is a freaking industry. Mm -hmm. uh, Bradley Falchuk and uh, Ryan Murphy. You know, yeah, they're getting production money up front when they don't need it. And that's just the way with everything. Rich people don't pay for shit. And people who have the money to produce things are actually given money by the studios. The people who don't have money to produce things are not given the money by the studios. So it's it's completely upside down. I know a lot of industry executives who are getting out of the industry because they just don't like the way that it's going. Yeah. I went on a tour at Paramount. And I was surprised about how little work people there had to do. I'm like, yes. are, is, are they going to shoot anything? I mean, nothing was going on. Absolutely right. nothing. Well, that's because half of Paramount lot now is rented out. They, they're yeah. not all Paramount. You know, when I, when I filmed at Paramount and I also did a show there, a concert with Grace Jones, it was so much fun in the pool area where they film all the water things, where they film the Star Trek and the whales and all of that. There's a giant pool area there at Paramount where they do a lot of water yes. scenes. And it's got an enormous green screen behind it that's like 300 feet wide. And it's so incredible. I did a concert, I did a concert <laughs> right in the middle of that pool oh, with Grace yeah. Jones. And it was a wonderful thing called Tribal Trek. Uh, we had a grand and glorious time, but I used to also film a couple of TV shows there, Ultimate Revenge and Soap Dish and some other uh, some other shows that I was on. And so I'd go to the Paramount lot and it was busy as hell. And the commissary was always full. And, you know, nowadays you go there, they're freaking ghost towns. It's they're a like, ghost town. Yeah, they're ghost towns because half the sound stages aren't occupied because they charge so much money to to use them that independent productions aren't using them. And major studios, major productions have moved. Vancouver, Georgia, yes. various other places. So huge productions aren't even in LA anymore. And, uh, and you know, uh, they're, they're all over. Yeah. I mean, even like 25, 30 years ago, when I first started doing this myself, there was quite a bit that shot in San Francisco. I used to go to, oh, yeah. I used to go to SAG auditions all the time. Then there were, then they had the strike. And then since then, absolutely nothing. It's all in Canada, right. still Georgia, in LA Georgia, and then and Georgia. Georgia. Georgia yep. is a big thing. Cause it's cheap. Oh yeah. 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 And The Walking Dead helps helps that a lot. Yeah, too. Well, yeah. I I consider people in Georgia the Walking Dead. So whatever. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. God. Yeah, I'm um, ready for the I'm ready for the red states to go by. Just leave, get out. So you were in a show with Grace Jones. Oh, that absolutely. So cool. I've toured with a lot of people. Grace Jones, Bronski Beat. I've toured yeah. with Thea, my friend from Snap, who's celebrating 30 years of rhythm as a dancer. Yeah, I've I've opened for. 
just really big dance or regular, you know, artists. But yeah, Grace was fun. We got very high backstage. <laughs> I met, I first met Grace. Where is my, oh, here, hold on, hold on. Okay. Earlier. I see. Which camera are we on? Yeah. The main one, I think. There we go. Yeah. What? There. Oh, over here. Oh, that's better. Oh, wow. Oh, look at you. I've never so seen a picture of you when you were young. That's at the Grammys. That is a members-only yeah. jacket. That's at the Grammys in 1982, I believe. Neat. When I first met Grace, we were there together at the after party. I walked up and said, I love your Isimiyaki dress. And the dress she had worn on stage was made out of bamboo. And I said, I, I believe it's in the Museum of Modern Art, right? And she's like, you're the only one who knew. And I'm like, you know, no, I'm, no, it's fabulous. And the outfit she had on with the big ponytail uh, was Isimiyaki. And uh, so we hung out. We met then. I interviewed her for the R&B report in the mid 80s to early 90s. And her limo hadn't shown up. At, where were we in L.A.? We're one of those Madrians or something. And so my friend Ken had driven me. He had a brand new Jeep Wrangler without the top on. And she said, I need to get to the recording session for love on top of love. Dolph Lundgren's already there. Can you drive me? And I said, <laughs> well, we're, we're in a Jeep with no top on. Uh, and she's like, that's fine. So she had a big, huge ponytail dress on and everything. We get in the Jeep. We're driving down Santa Monica Boulevard. She's in the back. She suddenly stands up and holds onto the roll bar because she was enjoying herself. <laughs> and we're on our way to see her Brits, a photography icon of mine. And suddenly a guy pulls up next to us on Santa Monica Boulevard, as is wont to happen. These two Latino queens look over and go, look, that, that drag queen looks just like Grace Jones. And she turns and looks down and she grabs her ponytail and she goes, I am not a drag queen. I am Grace Jones. <laughs> And they like freaked out, you know, like, oh, my God, it really is Grace Jones. So we had that experience together. And then I, I, a few years later, I opened for her and she remembered, you gave me a ride in a Jeep. Yes, I did. So, you know, we had a grand time at that, the show as well. She Since really then, sounded into, like that. In real oh, life. That's, how she, that's how she sounds. And now she's doing West Hollywood Pride, I believe. This year, it's either WeHo or LA. They got a bunch of people. Mariah Carey is doing it. So yeah, Grace is doing that. And uh, she's doing a lot of Pride festivals this year, mainly because I think she's, I don't want to say bored, but she loves to entertain. And, you know, and she, and the thing about Grace is, Grace is this wonderful merging of modern art and music. Mm -hmm. You know, everything that she does is also art. Yes. Her her clothing. Her body, you know, whether, her presence. Whether, well, yeah. well, yeah, she was painted by Keith Haring to go to a party. Yeah. And she showed up with Dolph Lundgren and his twin brother, you know, arm in arm. And then they she walks into the consulate. This is for the consulate. She walks into the consulate and she peels off her coat and she's naked, except for her body is all painted by Keith Haring. So, you I know, think I remember yeah. that picture. There was a photo of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so she merges you know, modern art with music. And I don't think there are many artists nowadays that really pay as much attention to art and artists that aren't musical art and artists as she does. Basquiat yeah. did things for her. I mean, she's had so many famous painters and famous sculptors do things for her, make dresses for her, make outfits for her. Famous, you know, couturiers, uh, mm -hmm. who just want to design one-offs for her. So I really think that, you know, there's there's just not another entity like her. Well, she's so um, striking and so charismatic. And every, every time you see something, a picture of her or a performance, you just, it, it you have this well up of like feeling, like sometimes it's uncomfortable, I have to say. Uh, sometimes you're tired. I remember waiting to see her at yeah. Lion Country Safari in Southern yeah. California. She was supposed to come on at midnight at 3 a.m. 
a forklift comes on with a leopard inside a cage and on top of the cage was her. Yeah. So I'm sorry. The leopard was on top of the cage and she yeah. was in the cage. I think I remember seeing that photo. like a leopard. Oh, we yeah. were there. And so the <laughs> well. forklift drops her and she's doing demolition man. Yeah, I'm a walking nightmare. I got summer of doom. Uh, and here's this, you know, there's this leopard and we're just like, holy Christ. But like Madonna, she's never really started a show on time. Oh, yeah. Well, which I find hardly disrespectful, by the way. The same with Madonna. When Madonna came to Vegas three years ago, the show was at eight. She sauntered on stage at 1030. Fuck you, Madonna. That is so 80s. I would have left. And they took all their cell phones. So these people have been sitting there for two and a half hours without their. No, that is so disrespectful of an artist to disrespect the audience's time. Oh, you I know, agree. It's it's just so dis. If I say the show starts at eight, it starts at eight. If you ain't in your seat, too bad, baby. It's it's ha- because I come from a world where you can't begin at four ten or four fifteen. You have your the, the mic goes live at four oh five, and you're yeah. either there behind it or you're not. Yeah, if it's you know, a radio so show, you better right. be there. Yeah, yeah, because yes, people God knows tuned Andrew in to and hear I- you. God knows Andrew and I sped down Wilshire Boulevard, breaking more than a few laws, more than a few times, <laughs> trying to get there from Long Beach on time. David's like, I'm not postponing the beginning of the show. You better get your ass here. 405, our intro music is playing, and we're running up from the parking lot. That's so cool. I was just telling my wife the other day, I said, you know, in the 70s, when we used to go to concerts, because I just went and saw Willie Nelson the other night, and he actually started a little late, which surprised me. But well, that's okay. He's 100. He's, I mean, I, that guy blows my mind. I just want to say right now, first of all, it was a great show. He only played for an hour, but what do you expect when you're 89 years he's, old? I yeah, think he, he's 89. He's 90 he's, today. Today yeah, he's 90, yeah. Happy and, birthday, and he's on Billy. tour until October. Right. That's what I said. If I'm on tour when I'm 90, you'll wait for me. Love that guy. But in the 70s, and you you probably remember this, I mean, you, you, if you went to go see a rock concert, they were at least two hours late because they were like, had to get over their, their, their drug or whatever they were doing backstage. Well, I you did know, not and, go to rock concerts. I was a young oh, gay boy. So, oh, that's right. Uh, I, yeah. I saw artists who actually came out and sang and R&B, you know, hugely <laughs> into R&B in the 70s and 80s. Well, even now. In fact, I'm going to see Stephanie Mills Saturday night. But, you know, so R&B artists tend to be on time yeah. unless you're bobby brown and you're throwing coke or something but That's true. you know the, the r&b artists tend to be on time so you know in the 70s and 80s i was seeing acts like confunction and parliament and gladys knight and and aretha and just so i can't even count i wish i, I had gone to those well, so first, many concerts the first concert i ever went to was uh, what's your name oh, what, oh i can't think of this <laughs> the, i the actually part. don't remember the first concert i went to i've been uh, to so many in my life because when you work yeah. for billboard or yeah. the report or the advocate and you're doing interviews you know all the time and you're always at a show yeah. you know i started doing that in junior in high school i started working at the high school press so i started interviewing music artists when i was 16 so 1978 yeah, I remember my first big play. My first big play was at the Pantages. I got on their media list in 1978, and I'm still on it. Yeah. And it was Eartha Kitt in Timbuktu. And I had no idea why when Eartha came out, I was 16, Emily Johnson drove because she had her driver's permit. I had no idea that when Eartha came out and she's dropped by these beautiful, gorgeous men and she goes to the edge of the stage and she kicks her leg out. She puts her hands on her hips and she says, I am Salim Laloum. Why the vibes to the wazir? Welcome to Timbuktu. I had no idea why she got a 10 minute standing ovation. I'm like, okay, that was a good line, but why are... 
And it was because that was her first American performance after being ostracized by Lady Bird Johnson and being blacklisted for almost two decades because she had the nerve to tell Lady Bird Johnson at the White House that she didn't think it was right that they were sending black people to fight their war when black people were not equal economically or socially. Uh, uh, and allegedly she made Lady Bird Johnson cry. After that, the FBI blacklisted her, everybody. She could not get a job anywhere except out of the country. That's wow. why she was only on Batman for two episodes as Catwoman. She got blacklisted by the by Lyndon Baines Johnson and Lady Bird Johnson. Oh, she was the best Catwoman. She was, but oh, only yeah. two episodes. I, I, I was a huge fan. I've seen all those episodes, and I remember the, her I episodes. I was with her at the kit the night she found out how old she was. We were in Orange County. She was doing the Secrets from Center. I had interviewed. I've interviewed her probably six or seven times. It was just a fun interview. And she had told me during one of the interviews that she was born, you know, as a sharecropper's daughter and that they didn't have a birth certificate. And so uh. she never knew the year or date that she was born. Well, that was well known. And so some rabid fans of hers back in the early late 90s or early 2000s actually dug up documentation about her and found her birthday. And they came to the circus from center and presented her with the documents to show her how old she really was. And I was with her when she learned that she was in her 70s. Well, that must have been moving. Wow. It was something, actually. Yeah, yeah. Wow, incredible. I'm not sure that I want to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, she was so funny. She I, was so funny. Tell me was. what you think of. Tell me what you think of Barbara Streisand, Eartha. She's done very well with that one note. <laughs> <laughs> what about Madonna? She's an interesting businesswoman. Well, no, she's a singer. Like I said, she's an interesting businesswoman. <laughs> I, I would. Uh, we would have so much fun all the time. I just remember the first concert I went to, Earth, Wind, and Fire. That's what ah, it was. do yes. you remember? Yeah, they were great. I, I saw them again recently. They, they were they were lip syncing to a recording, but that's okay. They're well, all like 90 I'm, years old. Philip is still alive, but Maurice White isn't. Uh, yeah. And I'm not sure Philip can still do the... Oh, that's you know, nice. Not yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it sounded like they were doing it, but then all of a sudden I heard a female voice and I realized, oh, there's a there's a backing track going on here. So well, the know. emotions aren't around anymore either. And the Earth, Wind, and Fire and the Emotions, Boogie Wonderland is perhaps the best song, you know, ever. Yeah, they sing that. Yeah. They sing that. Yeah. I find when I start to dance in Boogie Wonderland. Oh yes. Oh, you're sounding good today. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I grew up with I grew up with Philip Bailey and the emotions. See, I saw the emotions back when when they had When Will I See You Again? Oh, I love uh, that song. oh yes. I am free to pain. Now that you're gone. I saw her sing Band of Gold. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, that's who I grew up going to see. Hey, you know, I have to tell you the other day, I mean, I guess it was a couple months ago, maybe you played a clip from you and Andrew doing that thing at Burger King or McDonald's. Oh, McDonald's, my McDonald's. Yeah. Oh my God. I was laughing so hard. Oh, I was still in the very gym. Talk- I was cracking. Still very talked about segment where I, t- I did that because my late roommate, Gary Alexander used to work at that McDonald's and yeah. Gary died of AIDS. And I, we were looking for ideas, and I, I told my program director, David Hall, I said, well, my late roommate, Gary, used to always want to tell the people at the drive-thru what he really thought of them. Yeah. You know, but he couldn't, of course, because he wanted to keep his job. And I knew the owner of the McDonald's because Gary had worked there for a decade, John Fosnight, who happened mm-hmm. to be gay, yeah. dead now too. Uh, and so I talked to John. I said, look, you can't clear this with corporate because they're going to say no. Right. But he said, no, come on and do it. So Andrew and I went down with our staff and we mic'd the 
Joe Talbot, not Joe Talbot, it was Tony Denkel, who just passed away here in Vegas. Great uh, engineer, fabulous engineer. Oh, yes. Yeah, so uh, saying- Tony Denkel could make, he could take a coat hanger into a closet and put you on air. You know, so he mic'd. And we said on the menu that we're live on air, but it was just a menu item. It did, did you, we uh, had to read it. And of course I worked the drive-through and we were only supposed to do it for 45 minutes and we ended up doing it for three hours. And it, it was one of the most fun that I've had, but I, because I did it as an homage to my late friend, Gary, who passed away from HIV AIDS. And, you know, it was sort of like, I'm going to do what he always wanted to do for him. The day after John Fosnight got called to Taco Bell corporate. Of course, he owned five. I'm sorry, to McDonald's. Of course, he owned five McDonald's, including the ones inside Disneyland. And he got called up to McDonald's corporate. And they said, we would love to chastise you. We would love to, to, you know, take some sort of repercussion. The only problem is the phones haven't stopped ringing all day with everyone saying how fabulous it was and how much they enjoyed it. So McDonald's corporate L.A., was going to reprimand him for letting me do it, but they had such an overwhelming response to it that they had to just leave him alone. <laughs> so, and I, we never found out until the, a year or two later that McDonald's had been called all day long at their corporate office about our gig. Also, we found out, what's his name? Why am I forgetting his name? Late night host, David Letterman, worked yeah. at a fast food restaurant on his show. We found out that his producer heard me at the McDonald's and took that idea to Letterman, and then Letterman did it. Letterman did that at working a drive-through because of my show. Oh wow, that happens a lot in radio, where a lot of things are innovated and people steal it, and, and they don't know. Particularly where in LA radio, where I have yeah. yeah, I just met someone here in Vegas the other day. I was out having lunch at a vegan restaurant here, and they recognized my voice. They're like, "Oh my God, you came on right before Phil Hendry." I work in the industry. I'm a set dresser and, you know, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, an animated show called Queer Duck, which is me. Mike Reese, the, one of the creators of The Simpsons, used to listen to our show. And he wanted to do this show about me and Andy. So he created this cartoon called Queer Duck at the time for Icebox, which was an early website that did web animations in JavaScript. And so he created the show. He wanted me to be the voice. I went and auditioned for it. Because he goes, look, I have to have you audition because it's the studio and, you know, not me. And the only reason I didn't get it and Jim J. Bullock did is because I could only do one voice. Uh, And Jim J. Bullock could do five. So he got the part of Queer Duck, even though it's me. And that show Uh went on to be on Showtime. And Ollie Gator and all the other characters in the show was based on what Mike Reese would hear us talking about our friends. Oh, wow. Amazing. Amazing. Never got a dime for it, but oh, well. So, uh, so common. So in case people don't realize, I mean, you, you were, you were, you were working at the drive-thru and Andrew was, you had an earpiece or something and he was telling yeah. you, he was like suggesting what you could say to the people ordering yeah, the food. Yeah, they always had him, they always had him do that. Like when I was And homeless. you were razzing yeah. these people. Like oh it was, yeah, like when the lady ordered the fried fish and the french fries with a Diet Coke, I'm a bitch, you know you want the milkshake, just have it for the <laughs> yeah, love of God. Great. You know, so, you, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, because that people are absurd. Or when the Hispanic gentleman, I could never get away with it today, but, no. you know, these Hispanic gentlemen came through and they had this huge Mexican accent. And I said, honey, you think this is a Pollo Loco? That's up the street. It's like, this is McDonald's. We serve burgers. We don't serve the flame broiled chicken. So, no, no, I want a burger. And I'm like, well, then you don't want an Abitagesa then. You want a Big Mac? Say Big Mac. So, yeah. So we did that when I went out and was homeless. I I saw one day there was a woman that decided she was going to see how much money she could get with a particular sign. 
And I thought, well, I wonder how much each sign makes, like if honesty counts on the sign. And we had heard that the homeless people switched their signs amongst each other and share dogs and children and stuff to try to get more money. So I said, well, I want to go out with three signs. We'll work for food. We'll work for booze or, or please give me money for food. Please give me money for booze or please give me money for pot. And I want to see which sign gets the most. So they, we had a Hollywood makeup artist. I was doing a show called Ultimate Revenge with Ryan Seacrest and Mark Summers. And we had the makeup artist from that show come over and do my makeup. And it was so good that the security guard that was supposed to go out to protect me actually threw me out of the KFI building. Because uh -oh. he thought I was a real homeless person. Oh, wow. uh, and oh, yeah. So so I go out on the corner of the metro station at Wilshire and we're across from the Wiltern Theater. And the, the pot made the most money, the pot sign. But A, I found out how aggressive homeless people are about their territory. That's the first thing. And number two, I found out that people do not look at homeless people. I stood at the top of a great escalator coming from the down underneath trains saying hello to people as they streamed out on both sides of me and nobody looked at me. Nobody spoke to me. No one looked at me. And it showed me how we all overlook these people. We don't look at them. We, I say hello to every person I meet, including the homeless. And uh, many homeless in uh, Desert Breeze Park will attest to that. I know all their names. I ask their names. They're people. You know, yeah. they're humans. And yeah. they deserve to be addressed. And yeah. I don't care that you don't like their living situation or that they stink. I don't care. You know, they're human. I address animals, though. I talk to grackles. I talk to anybody, dogs, whatever. If it's a living thing, it deserves to be addressed. But I learned that that they they don't address you, you know. And so then Andrew was in my ear. We Again, I was supposed to do it for an hour. I ended up doing it for three. And Andrew's in my ear saying, well, sing, you know, sing a song. And he would say, sing Billie Jean. And so suddenly I'm out there singing Billie Jean or whatever. And no one ever thought it was weird that I was talking to myself, even though I was talking on the radio, because I was homeless. And so they just thought I was fucking crazy. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I would be talking to him and the listeners. The listeners were calling in and suggesting I do things. Then Andrew said, say, praise Jesus a lot. See how much money you make. Oh, my God, the money started rolling in. I was like, wow. praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And oh, yeah, money just started rolling in. Incredible. I subsequently, when I was done, I had collected over $200 in three hours. I thought, well, this ain't a bad gig. Uh, yeah. But I subsequently gave it to a homeless veteran whose area I had taken over with my wheelchair and everything, because uh, I brought a wheelchair and the whole thing. And I gave it to this homeless veteran that was there. You know, I said, here, here, have this money. He couldn't understand why I was giving it to him. And then finally, I pulled off the wig and said, I said, look, I was doing a bit. Oh, I thought you were one of us. I go, I was. I was homeless for over a year. So trust me, I I was one of you, but just not today. Not wood. <laughs> I'm lucky enough now to have a home. Yeah. But, you know, so, yeah, it was great fun. And every time they would send me out and Andrew would stay behind and talk to me in my ear and tell me what to do or what to, you know, things to say to people. No, I, I haven't heard any of those. I would love to hear the homeless ones. Oh, so. they're, they're, they're hysterical. They're, <laughs> they're fun. The Scientology one the is, tapes? Oh, yeah. The Scientology yeah. one is hysterical because I just got bored one day and I said, I'm going to go for a walk down Hollywood Boulevard. And so Tony Denko said, well, let's get me remote van. So we, we went over and I just was talking on the radio while Andrew was at the studio. And the Scientologists were giving their quiz out in front of Scientology. And I thought, oh, I'll take this live on the radio. And they wouldn't let me. And I said, well, why won't you let you're all here on the sidewalk? You're giving everybody the quiz. Why not give me the quiz? Suddenly, five black, five men in black suits are surrounding me yeah. on the public sidewalk. Wow. And, and, say, and I'm like, what's going on here? And oh, well, we're going to have the head of the church come down. And I said, I don't need the head of no goddamn church. You ain't, first of all, you ain't a church, y'all crazy. Uh, but, you know, so they called the police and the police roll up listening to me on the radio. Uh, and they get out of the car and they go, and the first thing the cop says is, Carell, what are you doing? And I said, I just wanted to take this test. They're out here on the public sidewalk. 
giving it to the public, but they won't give it to me. And so the, these men are surrounding me and the cops are all, why are you surrounding him? He's on a public sidewalk. Plus he has an LAPD press credential. So he's allowed to be wherever he wants to be. So clear away from him. So the, the and all of this is going out live on KFI, all of it. In <laughs> fact, you can Google Corel Scientology and oh. the audio is still out there oh, from good. the anti-Scientologist. Okay. Because it all went out on the radio about how crazy they treated me. And then how the cops came and how it just all went crazy after that. Uh, and they never did let me take the test. And I still believe they're all insane. So I guess it's a fair sort of trade. Yeah, well, it's a uh, cult. Yeah, you know, it's it a, a well, cult of cults. They're all cults. The Catholic Church is a cult, largest oh, child yes. rape ring in the world. I uh, agree. You know, I, I, I hate that Joe Biden professes Catholicism. It's like, so you're a member of a child rape ring? Good for you. I grew up uh, as a Catholic. So did I. I was, and and yeah. left promptly when I, they didn't screw me. I'm like, what? I mean, that's the ultimate rejection. <laughs> yeah, you're screwing everything. Oh, my God. For years, I went to a therapist. He's like, why do you have no self-esteem? I said, the priest never touched me. And he's like, that's a problem. I go, well, they're fucking everybody else. You know, it's like I gave him the wine. I gave him the communion wafers. Nothing. Never laid a hand on me. Okay, so now I have to ask you, are you going to come up and do some stand-up up here again? I would like love you to. I, you know, it's it, the, after COVID, everything got crazy and yeah. bookings got crazy. And yeah. now if you want to do a venue, they want you to put a guarantee up front. It's yeah. like, so you got to put down two grand or four grand if you want to go do a show and hope you make it back. That's crazy. Uh, you know, so and people like Cobb's Comedy Club and stuff, they're just not paying what they used to. There's no travel expenses. There's no. So yeah. it's it's Bruce Lynch and I were just talking about this. You know, it's just it's very hard nowadays to get back out on the road unless you're backed by a live nation or someone who's going to pick up the tab for travel and for, you know, meals and hotels and you know things like that because it can get expensive and unless you're going to charge 100 bucks a ticket you know if you're at a 200 seat venue you're charging 40 bucks that's you know what eight thousand dollars and if you're yeah. spending two or three or four on expenses you know so but yes i want to i am looking into some of the venues i used to do the Raz room which is now called feinstein's yeah something in san jose i'd like to do the san jose civic auditorium they have smaller venues there yeah. instead of the four thousand seat venue they have other venues there but yeah i'm 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 certainly looking into it pride season is happening right. uh, we're going to talk to a couple pride san jose pride and others and see if maybe we can get involved in those uh yeah. so yeah I'm, I'm looking to me and ember are ready to get back out again Great. Great. Well, we'd love to have you up here. Yeah. Well, it's been great talking to you, Corel. Really enjoyed it. Thanks so well, much wonderful. for doing this. I really no appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. And congratulations on your Ukrainian stage benefit. I think it's great that you do something for the Ukraine. Oh, you saw today, that, yeah. Today, 19 more deaths in the Ukraine. Yeah. You know, this war has now been going on over a year. If it were a good white nation being bombed, we would have ended it in 20 minutes. Yeah, I know. Uh, but the fact that it's Ukrainians that most of us don't know any or, you know, all people have to say is, oh, their president's kind of cute. It's like whatever. But, you know, people are dying and the atrocities that Russia is committing are horrific and should not only be condemned by the world, but there should be action. You know, we, the world NATO should call Putin and say, you stop today or we bomb the fuck out of St. Petersburg. You know, and if you even dare threaten us with a nuclear weapon, we will have you assassinated. You know, yeah. you will wake up with a bullet between your head. Well, if, like you uh, said, if it was a Western European country, yeah, that's what absolutely. we would have done immediately. Yes, that's but exactly right. It's so Eastern European. It's, it's Eastern Europe, and and our compassion only goes so far for people that we don't feel that we know or understand. I am looking at Ukraine right now. I have a giant map on my wall here, and I, you know, I I know the complexities of it. I see what it borders, and I see how it, you know, where Russia is, and all of that. But that doesn't matter. What matters is they're killing innocent people. And Americans have an 
an easy way of looking away from that sort of thing. You know, 28 school children die and the next day we're on to something else. Yeah. You know, innocent people die in our country every single day at the hands of an Uber driver who's freaking dismembered for delivering Uber Eats. Really? So innocent. Yeah, oh yeah, just two days ago. So innocent people die every day and we've become numb to it. And that's the most dangerous thing that's happened in today's society, that we have now, we have now become numb to homelessness. We're just numb to it. It angers us. It does, homelessness is a complete failure of government, and we are government. So that yeah. means that homelessness is our failure. It's, yeah. it's our failure. It's not their failure. It's our failure. It's unaffordable housing. It's no social safety net. It's all kinds of problems and not adequate mental health care, treating alcoholics or drug addicts like criminals instead of like people who have an actual medical disorder. Uh, you know, you wouldn't treat cancer patients the way that you treat alcoholics. It's the same thing. It's a medical disorder. In Europe, they register alcoholics. They register drug addicts as such. And when they get into these programs, they're not thrown out if they drink or if they do drugs because they're a registered drug addict. They're a registered alcoholic. So they're allowed over here. We like to tell poor people it will help you, but only if you live up to our conditions. Yeah. Just now, the bill that just went through with McCarthy, where they want to raise the age for food benefits, they want to, you know, make sure you're doing this or that before they give you food. The notion that we would put regulations on how to feed people just shows what a horrible people we've become. Uh, mm -hmm. And so the fact that we can turn away from the in Chechnya, where there are gay con concentration camps going on right now, watch really? the movie Welcome to Chechnya, which just came out last year. These are concentration camps used by Hitler that are now being used in Chechnya for suspected gays. You don't hear the U.N. denouncing it. You don't hear any any riots over it. We are able now to turn a blind eye to so much that it's taken the human part of us out. And that's really sad. And so every time I hear about 19 dead in the Ukraine, I think that's 19 families, that's 19 brothers and sisters and mothers, family pets that are being killed and destroyed in all of this. It's just a huge loss of life. And we can't let up on it. We have to continue to remind people it's happening and that they need our help. And so by doing your monthly stage thing, by talking about it, by putting it out there, you at least remind people that it's still going on, that people yeah. are still dying needlessly. You know, any little amount that anybody can do, if if all of us just did a little bit, it would make a difference. And, you know, I, I, I'm so happy that I have this vehicle where I can do that. And other people, whatever you can do, if you just do a little bit, if everybody did a little bit, it would make a huge difference. It's oh, the same thing like bucks. with the diet. I send like, 50 bucks a month to Paws of War. Paws yeah. of War is a charity that helps rescue animals. Right now, they're working solely in the Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, and these are animals that have been oh, displaced by war. Right. Yeah. That, you know, people flee and they leave their dogs and cats and everything behind. They just leave them behind. Incredible they have, suffering. You, know, you yeah. know, they have nowhere to get food, water. And so this organization, it's called Paws of War. They go in and they actually bring food, bring water, get the pets. Now we've made this ridiculous rule here in the United States that we don't let animals come into the United States from countries that have rabies. And uh, so we can't adopt a pet from the Ukraine here. It has to go through Canada and then come to the United States. But they're doing it. And so we are helping. And so I know that's not helping humans, but there's a lot of agencies, Red Cross and others that are helping humans. So I choose to help the animals because no one's helping those except Paws of War. So that's why I support them. And besides, Ember likes that I do it. So. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> I love that you love your little doggy. I have my mine isn't here, little foxy. Well, I mean, time. she's a real service animal. Yeah. So without her, my life would be completely different. And you know, she works for me and and you know facilitates a life that makes it easier for me to go out and have a life. Yeah. Worried about AFib, or I'm not worried about the various things that she can detect. And so, you know, I used to panic when I was out and I'd, all of a sudden I'd feel I was going into AFib and I'd panic and, you mm -hmm. know, I, I, then we'd have to rush home. And now that doesn't happen because she tells me in advance what's going to happen. I'm able to medicate. I'm able to calm down. I'm able to remove myself from the situation for a moment. So she mm -hmm. makes it possible for me to go out into the world more. So, you know, it, it's not just that I love her. It's that she's my partner. She's my partner in crime. And you know, I'll be devastated when when she passes. But the fact is that these service animals, they do a huge job for us. And we see people with them. And we Oh, that's not a service animal. Or oh, what kind of service do they do? None of your fucking business. That's what kind of service they do. None of your business. You know, it's amazing you, how these animals can get tied into our emotions before we know we're having them or, or, oh, or our yeah. physical well, states to our, they're finding, they now can detect COVID They're They're more accurate to detect breast cancer than the mammograms in Europe. Now wow. they're using dogs to detect breast cancer when they're searching for whales out at sea. They have dogs that do it now because they can smell whale poop for four miles out at the open sea. So before sonar can even pick up whales, dogs can. Yeah. So yeah, no, they're, they're hugely intelligent but so are pigs and so yeah. are cows yeah. and so i'm not a specious it's why i'm a vegan oh, i you had know? no idea how how much cows can be affectionate towards human beings until i've well, seen some videos i had they no mourn idea they're dead they they you know they mourn they're dead they of course they form bonds with humans they yeah i, I follow many on instagram that have accounts spud what is it spud the bull he loves to play ball with his human and you know oh no the notion Animals are sentient beings. We act yeah. like they're not, right. but they are. They have emotions. They have feel pigs know when they're going to be slaughtered. They yeah. know when their babies are being taken. Cows are in terror when they're on the way into the slaughterhouse. Yeah. People eat tortured animals because yeah. the animals knew they were going to die. Right. So, yeah. you know, so no, it's not just dogs. I love my dog. God bless her. But, you know, all animals, we need to respect them. I don't even kill insects anymore. Nothing should have the death penalty because it meets me. So yeah. if, I see a, I like you know, if I see a spider or if I see a bug roaming around, even a roach, you know, whatever, I catch it and throw it outside because it's not up to me to decide if that creature lives or died just because it, it encountered me. Yeah. You know, so and the same with food. Nothing should have the death penalty because I have to eat. That's ridiculous. There's other things to eat now. Yeah, my son and I found a roach the other night. We two nights ago we picked it up and put her put her outside. Right. Um, That's yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, they're icky and they're gross or whatever, but they don't think we look that cute either. So, you know, it's like it I went in the other night and there was one in the sink because they come up through the, you know, it's just natural for animals to come out bugs to come out of your sewer pipes, you know. Yeah. It just ha it happens to Oprah, it happens to everybody. Yep. You know, and I saw one in the sink and I got the glass and put it over it and I'm on, "Now you stand with that glass, bitch." I mean, you know. And so, you know, I took it out to the patio and threw it over over. Now I do that. I do live upstairs. So I do throw them over the patio, but bugs, you know, they're fine. They drop to the ground. They don't die. No, I'm like, you're going to, you're going to go for a little, little short, little fly here. And then yeah. you're going to hit the ground. Maybe they enjoy it. Maybe it's like yeah, a roller coaster. Like a thrill ride. Maybe that's why they yeah. come back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, Let's run back up and get in the throws out again. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, I've created a bug Disneyland here. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot. You're welcome. All right. Really appreciate it. Okay. See you on the radio. Yep. Talk to you later.
Carell is so interesting. I'm so glad he was on the show. I've been wanting to have him on for a long time. Very, very happy that he agreed to be a part of it. Hey, if you enjoy this show, please tell your friends. Say, hey, check out Green Room on Air podcast. It's pretty darned cool. Yeah, it, it will help me a lot to have more listeners and I'll have more time and I'll be able to put more effort into having even better programming for you all out there. And if you if you can, please like go onto your iPhone and go to the podcast page on the podcast app and you just go to the bottom and you say rate this show. And you can do that and just give me some stars and you can even put in a, a description of why you thought it was five stars <laughs> or not. But the more I have of, of those ratings, the more I can put into this production. So I would, would really appreciate it if you'll just go in there and do that. It'll take you between five seconds and 60 seconds. I've done a study. Thanks so much for listening, and I will catch you next week. This show will also be up on YouTube on Green Room on Air within the next day. And until next time, you know what? I will see you on the boards. Thank you very much. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I'll try them all. Your side, oh, when times can roll.